Frank, are you going to buy Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure Part 3? <laughs> is it Part 3 technically? Technically is this one? If you've been reading my Twitter again, oh man, I can't, I, I just can't decide. I am so much a child of the 80s. I so much have such good fond memories of watching those movies as a kid. I am such a Keanu Reeves fan. James, are you a Keanu Reeves fan? I'm literally growing my hair to become Keanu as we speak. <laughs> awesome. Um, but man, I'm also at Cheapskate. I saw the movie. It was $25. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to pay that much money. Yeah. You know, I I don't remember watching the sequel. I mean, I definitely remember watching the original. But Bogus Journey, I'm not positive. I, I'm the same. I did watch the trailer for the new one. And I'm just sort of like, eh, I don't know. And, you know. Disney wants to charge $30 for Mulan, but then like they're going to give it for free to Disney plus people in December. Like I, what are the, what are box offices thinking? I don't understand. Oh, I feel so sorry for the movie owners. Well, I don't cause it's a giant conglomerate, but whatever. I still feel kind of sorry for the movie owners. Uh, you know, it, it is the virus and I literally have nothing else to do, but program and watch TV. So I probably will break down at some point and buy it. I'm just going to be, a moody teenager for a little while and be like money i should be able to go to go to the movie theater and pay only 15 dollars for this and sit in a sticky seat <laughs> yeah it's like oh i should be able to only pay 15 dollars for a ticket and 10 dollars for a popcorn and 15 dollars for a right. soda but i refuse <laughs> no can, can you not rent it for like 2.99 or something 3.99 i think the rental is 19.99 this is in the u.s obviously um and then it's uh five dollars more to own it that's ridiculous and I'm, I'm marketing works on me. You know, when you price that item $20 cheaper than the better one, you're like, well, I guess I'll just get the better one. It's only $20 more. In this yeah, case, that's a deal. More. They're literally yeah. giving it away to you. You'll have that. You'll have the, <laughs> they'll give you the unlimited rights to watch that movie as long as that service is around. I am such a sucker. I am no. so going to end up watching this movie tonight. Okay. Talking <laughs> about nostalgia, though, before we go on to our topic today, which is a, which is a revolution from nostalgic past of, <laughs> of creating websites. But uh, I highly could recommend to all of our listeners and to you uh, a documentary series on Netflix called High Score. Have you seen or watched this at all yet? I believe it's been promoted to me quite a bit by the algorithm, but I have not watched it. <laughs> it's very true. The, the algorithm, if you will, is uh, extremely extremely oddly accurate and weird um it is by like uh, a giant something let me let me look up the, the creators <laughs> of it is it, it a video game thing is it like cataloging that yeah so what it is it's, it's from a company called great big story which they do tons of documentaries and youtube videos all sorts of stuff um it's it's a netflix documentary series that looks at the video game industry from the 1980s to the 1990s. It's also narrated by Charles Martinet, who's the voice actor of Mario, which is kind of fantastic because we're really only used to hearing Charles via it's a me, a Mario, and that's about <laughs> it. So which perspective is it? Is it a, are they going to include programmers or do we just get like a few programmers for five minutes? Uh, there's quite a lot hallway? of quite a lot of programmers there's okay. especially in the first episode they took a lot of looks at the early days of space invaders and pac-man the atari era i've watched okay. i'm on the second uh, uh there's only six six uh, episodes i'm on the second one 
which is about the NES revolution, you know, coming out of the, the days of, uh, of the, the great, you know, Atari apocalypse of the, um, of the late, uh, of the eighties, you know what I mean? So pretty, pretty awesome in general. And then there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of other ones, but it's really fun. There's, there's all sorts of different perspectives and views. So, so far it's super good. I'd, I definitely highly recommend, uh, of you if you want to taste and it's really cool too they do a lot of pixelated artwork and uh animations it's really well done like it's 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 you could tell that somebody spent some time and effort and energy on it for sure you know you make the atari apocalypse sound like a bad thing but for me as a kid it was amazing because i could finally afford all the games like they were all in all the garage sales and they were in the dollar bins at the store so like I had such a vast catalog of games thanks to that company imploding. So, you know, some benefits. <laughs> it's really, it's really fascinating to think about the, how the video game industry, you know, self imploded on itself in those days, which was all about quantity over, over quality. And if you sort of compare it in a way to how we live today in a sea of, of apps on our phone on a sea of, of Netflix <laughs> shenanigans that are just nonstop piles of, of, of TV and movies, or even just going on Amazon, you know, there, the algorithm is in place to help, or even YouTube, right? There's just, there's so much, right? It's just a bunch of, just a bunch of crap and there's some good stuff, but like most of it in general in our life, is just well, crap, right? Those are very different things. Like YouTube is, I think these days a lot about quantity for sure. Oh yeah. But at the same time in the game industry, you have games, the AAA games that take five years to produce these days, you know, like people in Hollywood are like, wow, that's slow. <laughs> it's just yeah. amazing how much energy and effort have to go into them. Well, that's so why I think that the kind of video games sort of turn themselves around. Now there are like on steam, there is sort of, there was a steam apocalypse almost, I don't know really where the stage where it's at, but there was sort of a pivotal point where Steam opened its floodgates and let just anything in, right? And I kind of see that on the Switch. You know, we do the Nintendo Dispatch podcast on um, Sunday we record, and there's always so many games, right? Not to say that they're all bad or that everything's crap, but there's just a lot of games. And you're like, oh my God, how's anyone going to dive all through this? But I don't, I don't believe that, like obviously a single game or a single, you know, that the, the quantity of there, there's probably a whole bunch of different reasons in which, you know, Atari um, collapsed a lot of the video game in industry of that time, not just that. So, um, but yeah, well, as an app developer, though, I, I love the chaos. I love the bizarre. I, I like having a million different games available. You know, the Oculus, uh, not the Quest, what was before that? The Go. Rift. Go, go. Rift, go. Well, yeah, Rift was before, but um, the Go was cool because uh, there were a lot of five-hour games for it. So they weren't all great. A lot of them were terrible. But at the same time, I was willing to try, you know, 10 of them instead of paying $50 for a double-A game. <laughs> Whatever we get on VR, we don't get triple-A. Yeah, you really get to, like, nibble on, on little bite-sized things. Or sometimes being able to put out content faster enable some creativity compared to things that take a long, long time to produce. But you know, what's really fascinating about all this talk about just having so many options, so many choices, it's sort of like web development, Frank, the great <laughs> West of development where there's just 5 billion 
ways to build an application today. Look at that transition. That's pretty good. Huh? Uh, that was uh, an amazing uh, segue, everyone. Hey, look, we're talking about web stuff somehow. We started a video games and now we're talking about web stuff. I just ruined your segue. Sorry. It, it's it's fun. Um, the web is crazy because we have a common platform. And the moment you have a common platform, everyone's going to find a different way to program it and manipulate it and do everything. Why don't we all just use JavaScript and HTML forms and posting and all that stuff? Because it's not the 90s anymore, James. And although I, I hate churn and I hate uh, flashy new dev environments, that's not true. I actually do kind of love them. At the same time, I've fallen in love with a new web framework. It's not mm. that new. It's, it's not new at all. <laughs> well, it is kind of just G-Day in a way. Well, let's, let's talk about that, right? Because when you think of the world, when I think of the world of the web, I think of, for all intents and purposes, you know, there's, of course, the, like website generators. But like if you're building a website yourself, you have uh, Angular, you have React, you have ASP.NET Core, uh, MVC, which has been around for a long time. Those are all, those all three are kind of, they're kind of like three different architectures. I know with ASP.NET Core, you can actually blend Angular or React into it as well, which seems a little bit uh, complicated, or you can just build an entire React website. But the, the new, the new kiddo on the block, the new, the new power glove addition to the mix would be a little thing called Blazor. Blazor. My Blazor. nemesis. <laughs> I can't believe you just mentioned a bunch of web frameworks and didn't bother to mention PHP or Ruby on Rails. Like, where's the respect, James? Where's the respect? Well, I guess are those frameworks or language? I just, I don't know. I'm of not a web developer. I don't know anything. Of course. <laughs> I don't know anything. I guess you know. I guess all of well, isn't all of GitHub all Rubies or something like that? Yeah, I don't know. But if, if you want to get paid for doing web development, you better know PHP also. Okay, so you got PHP. You got yeah. You got PHP, you got Ruby on Rails. There's like Go, obviously. There's, I mean, Go's yeah, a programming well, language. Is it a framework? I don't know. What's framework? Exactly. Right. We're, we're crossing boundaries here, but whatever. I, I like to frame it more like 1990s versus modern. And for me, that difference is, um, are we doing gits and posts and maybe some API calls and maybe some jQuery? It's funny, jQuery didn't come around in the 90s at all, but. I still think of it as a 1990s technology because I'm old. I'm ancient. Um, so, you know, that's like kind of, you know, old fashioned stuff. Whereas your Reacts and your Blazors and your Wii's and your Uno's, these are modern takes on let's do web development a little more. Let's make it better. Let's make it actually hospitable. Let's make it livable. Mostly by getting rid of HTTP and stupid HTTP post and forms and form validation. All that stuff is so silly. It's all such a relic of a simple model that we had in the 90s that just, you know, it, it scales up to a point, but it's annoying. Anyway, point being, modern frameworks. Aren't modern they great? Frameworks. They are. Now, one thing you said earlier, which was all about JavaScript and uh, a lot of people love the JavaScripts. And in fact, you know, if you're doing traditional uh, development, when we think about, you know, there's really like the backend development. And if you think of MVC, you have the controller that's sort of running on the server, right? And then your view is running 
in, in, in the browser. And then it's interacting with the JavaScript, which is updating the DOM. The, I don't know what the DOM, what does DOM stand for? <laughs> Not Domino's pizza, document, document object, object model. model. <laughs> the DOM, if you will. Um, that's your HTML and your whatever inside of there. Now the JavaScript, the JavaScript, right, mm. is is what everybody basically has to use, right? And, and because because that is is what is running in the browser. I mean, there's really yeah no other option. I think Blazor is the thing that sort of flips it on its head um, because it enables you to not necessarily get rid of JavaScript. I like to say minimize. JavaScript, if you will, does that make sense? I like to say get rid of. <laughs> okay, uh, you minimize could. as a as an engineering feat. You're gonna end up minimizing because you can't avoid JavaScript 100. percent But yeah, the more you can get rid of, the better. And that's not a knock against JavaScript. It's fine. JavaScript, it's a fine language. You know, it just doesn't. Yeah, especially modern versions of it. You know, they have async. They totally got async in JavaScript. Yeah. You know, it's, it's cool like that. Um. The problem is, if you're writing JavaScript code, you're going to have to write an API for your web server because that's what websites are. They're shared data. You have a database somewhere, you know, that needs to be written to, and you're not going to have the client writing to that database. That's scary. Don't do that. So instead, you're going to have to create an API. And that's when everything falls apart <laughs> because now you have to design a data abstraction layer. You have to version it. You have to make it safe. You have to come up with a tokening system, all that stuff. So it's this whole, this boundary between the client and the server. That's really the problem. It's not the language's fault. It's that boundary's fault. And the neat thing that I love so much about Blazor is that through the magic of magic, <laughs> there's a lot of magic involved, they eliminate that boundary for the most part. And all of a sudden, you're writing HTML with little C-sharp snippets with some C-sharp code, and it's doing some really reactive, really fast, fun web development. It's making web development fun. I, I guess that's the part I, I haven't expressed enough. It's actually making it fun. I've been doing this forever, and it hasn't been fun in a long time. Yeah, you know, on the website um, on Blazor.net, you know, it's they they make a good point of it. It's like you know, the goal of Blazor is to build interactive web UIs using C sharp instead of JavaScript, which is as accurate. Um, use reusable web components with C sharp, HTML, CSS. These are the words you just said, you know, in different terms. Because from your, I'm reading a website. You're just off the off the cuff. And then, but the key here is what you also said, which is both client and server code is written in C sharp allowing you to share code and your libraries. And this is something that us as Xamarin developers, by the way, have been able to bask in the glory of and take advantage of over years. I always thought that one of the biggest advantages of building mobile apps with Xamarin was not only that you could build iOS and Android and Mac apps in C Sharp, but you could also then share that app logic with other desktop apps with your web application that maybe is built with ASP.NET Core with your Azure functions, right? And in this world of Blazor and in this world of basically writing everything in C Sharp, well, isn't this beautiful because you can now share more code than ever with your website and your backend and your web API, which, you know, I think web API with ASP.NET Core is very, very, very popular. Um, I think that's very powerful, but I think to me, 
if we get to the final point, which I think is, is the, is the actual thing I want to talk about, which is making it fun to build web apps. Cause one, I'm not good at web apps. And if I look at web apps, there's three components to it, right? On the website, it even says it, and you said it too, which is C-sharp, HTML, and CSS. I'm good at C-sharp. I think, Frank, you're pretty good at C-sharp too, right? Yeah, I, I know it. I, I can write Hello World at least. All right, HTML, pretty okay? All right, that's okay. That's okay. You know, here, here I, I'm not even going to pretend a, a master, master of the HTML. <laughs> master of the HTML, HTML. And on top of that, so before we get to the last part, which is one more thing, the HTML is actually Razor. And this is not a, a brand spanking yeah. new technology, but Razor templating then turn into Razor pages, which then turn into Blazor pages. And the cool part is that your HTML Razor scripting in there, which is surprisingly, surprisingly similar to XAML, just a little bit different. He's more C-sharp in that file, but they can sit side by side. So you can have your code and your actual representation of the UI sitting right there and accessing the variables instead of having to create additional files and bindings and all stuff. It's kind of all the binding and all the glue and all the magic is there. And, and I, I want to take a second to just talk about Razor because I, I knew that I probably was going to like Razor, but, but before Blazor, I just didn't quite grasp it because it was still more webby, I think. Yeah, it's still webby. You're going to still have to know the DOM a little bit. You're going to have mm -hmm. to know your HTML elements and all of that. But you really nail, uh, hit the nail on the head when you said native development because that's, that's the magic trick. In the same way that async code makes writing procedural code, but you know somehow magically using threads and backgrounding and I.O. stuff, it, it has a magic to it that makes that happen. There is the magic of Blazor that makes web development feel like native development. It feels very similar when uh, you write an event callback, um, your on-click handler for button, you know, the classic example. You know, it almost feels like VB because you say on-click equals some function name. And then in the code area, you write a function with that name and it works. And it works. And you're like, well, yeah. well, it should work, but for... 30 years it hasn't worked <laughs> so you know like what's going on here and you know part of me i i resisted blazer for a variety of reasons full disclosure here one of the reasons is because i used to be an asp web forms developer mm -hmm. and that had several magic tricks attempting to do this um trick of you're writing all your code in C sharp and doesn't it feel just like C sharp? Doesn't it feel like native? Well, it didn't. And it broke in so many places and surprising ways. As Joel Spolsky would say, the abstraction was very leaky and error prone. And that's what I was kind of afraid of with Blazor. I, I was worried it was going to feel like that. But my experience has been quite the opposite. In fact, it has felt rock solid. It's it has its bugs, <laughs> you know. I've had to do my quirky workarounds here and there, but as someone who's developed um, these kind of reactive frameworks, because I have Wii, which is very similar, it has WebSockets, it does Wasm, you know, it's very similar. Um, I know the hard parts. <laughs> I know which parts are tricky to get right, and they seem to have gotten them right. Yeah, it's really fascinating because you're right. The the button click handler, but also just the data updating is 
you know, when you're data binding, I'm going to put that in quotes here, you put an at sign and then you could say current count, for example, if we're doing button clicker, like from the website, um, you know, when you change that thing, it updates the UI automatically like a data binding, or you don't have to do anything fancy. You, when the thing updates, it knows how to update the page automatically for you. And it knows how to call your method. And those things don't need to be public or private. You don't need to, to know all this magical syntax. And that feels really fresh to me. I don't know. I'm sure web developers are like, oh, duh, hello. No. But like, to me, no, is this, am I wrong? I don't know. Yeah, no, this okay. is nice. This is new. <laughs> this is this is modern. Um, because we've all had data binding for a while now. And in the .NET world, we know it as I notify property changed. <laughs> that is the basis for all of our data binding. But you'll notice in all these examples, there is no mention of I notify property changed. It's not doing that. Uh, it's being a little less efficient, but at the same time, so much simpler in how it treats data and changes in data and how to re-render the UI. It's doing the trick that we talked about a few episodes ago where they just re-render the UI (laughs) on every event and then, you know, do a diff and be clever about how they actually apply it to the user interface. But uh, conceptually, conceptually, it's simple. You hear some data, Whenever the data changes, update the UI. Don't bother me with the details. I don't care about events and all that kind of stuff. I don't care about I notify property change. Uh, honestly, it, it feels a lot like Swift UI. Swift UI has managed to do a lot of these data binding tricks without you doing too much I notify property change. They don't call it I notify property change, obviously. Uh, they call it observable object. You still have to do observable object in places in Swift UI, but in a lot of places you don't. And I feel like you're getting a lot of those same benefits. And so you're writing a lot less cruft code, so much less cruft code than I feared at first when I was first walking into this. True, yeah. There's there's that nice thing of just being just seeing the code run without having to say on property change and it just does it like good. And I'm curious if we'll get there maybe with some of the stuff that they're doing with Xamarin forms and Don and Maui with code generators, right? Like what if that stuff just was written (laughs) for you, right? It's kind of feels like there's stuff happening somewhere back here, but someone is swizzling some code magic (laughs) or the framework's doing something crazy. But I like this. And you know, my favorite part about blazer is, I don't want to talk about yet how it works or the modes that it runs in, but I do want to talk about that, that the, the, the thing that I've been working on is this new sort of live .NET TV webpage, part of the .NET website. You've been working with it on some other things, but you know, the .NET website is not a blazer application. Like it is a bunch it, over the time it's, I think migrated from razor pages to MVC. I had some react stuff in there and had a bunch of different stuff in there, but just this new page is Blazor inside yeah. of the app. And that's really powerful because I thought, I, I, I talked to Dan Roth because we're, we're working on some stuff together. And, and I said, I don't understand, you know, because I thought when I looked at Blazor and how people perceive Blazor, and, you know, it'd be great to get feedback from our listeners. I'm sure you have your, your input to this too, is I always equated Blazor as a competitor to react angular or even asp.net core mvc i thought you know it's like am i doing the app completely in xamarin forms or am i doing it completely in you know 
storyboards, right? I thought of it as a completely separate app almost like, like as it's like completely branching separately. And, and Dan's like, no, that's, that's not it at all. It's like, it's actually more similar to razor pages or web API or signal R. It's, it's a feature of ASP.NET Core. And once that unlocked in my brainium, that really <laughs> clicked. And I was like, oh, this is cool because every single web application out there, you know, ASP.NET Core application can infuse some blazer into it. And I thought that's powerful. Yeah, man. What are your expectations? Like when I wrote we, of course I made sure you could embed it into a system. I don't know. But no, I'm just messing. <laughs> um, it's funny because I remember back in the uh, old, old ASP.NET days when you said file new project, you would say like MVC project or web API project. And then you were stuck with that kind of project type. Yeah. You couldn't just add like other little bits to it. And then I forgot when it happened, but there was a big revolution where they said, no matter what your ASP.NET project is, you can, you know, use um, old time ASP.NET template views is what we used to use. And then we got MVC and then MVC got razor views. They were the new hotness. And then we got razor pages. Those were the new hotness. And now we have Razor components. And it's a testament to ASP.NET's design. You know, I, I love to make fun of IOC. And they certainly do break their APIs from time to time. <laughs> but they've managed to have all these different styles of web development in one framework. It's a vast, huge giant framework, but it's got all these different styles to it. It's it's quite awesome. And while, yes, uh, we definitely should talk about the embedding because that's super awesome and I'm very excited about that. Uh, Blazor 100% is competing with Angular and mm-hmm. React because why in the world would you write an app using those technologies when you have something like Blazor? I mean, it's it's that good. It's that well-organized. It's that well-written that I don't see any reason why you wouldn't write a website using those. That said, my website is ASP.NET MVC. So I am doing your trick too of I'm hosting a Blazor inside of different Razor views. And, you know, I believe that the templates for Angular and React with ASP.NET Core are the same. Like they are an ASP.NET Core app and they're just hosting Angular React technology. So I think you are right. I think that how I looked at it sometimes is like people may think that I have to create the whole thing in Blazor. I or, or I'm not even going to look at ASP.NET Core because I'm just going to write the entire thing in Angular or React only and write, not even think about hosting that thing inside of ASP.NET Core. Whereas, you know, I think that there's there may be a lot of web developers that have, you know, hopped on like the Angular React train because that's that was like the hype and still is the hype. I think React more than Angular now, but I could be wrong feel free to write in. Of course, I'm not a web developer. These are all opinions of myself just from monitoring conferences. That's sort of my 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 pulse is monitoring conferences, <laughs> but limited to the .NET audience or whatever that scope is, right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, a lot, I think there may be some that like, hey, we had these ASP.NET apps and, okay, well, I'm just going to do everything in, in React instead of now they can say, no, we're just going to do uh, ASP.NET Core that we already know and infuse it with some Blazor instead of saying, having to say, I have to go Blazor only. Like I thought for some reason 
the entire the entirety had to be a Blazor application. And don't ask me why, but I have to imagine it's because every demo I see is a 100% fully Blazorized app. Or, and again, I'm not yeah. a web developer, so maybe web developers see those cool demos and they're like, oh, I get what they're doing here. But for me, I'm like, oh, it's I have to choose between Blazor or ASP.NET Core MVC. But really, the, the answer is you can blend those two worlds together. <laughs> yeah. And and honestly, I think a lot of that's just showing off. You want to show off that your technology is good enough to do a whole site. Like, um, well, let, let's start with at a high level, Blazor and React are kind of similar in that they want you to componentize your app, break its UI down into small, easily understood components. And for that reason, I, I love both technologies because in the old parlance, it was user controls or custom controls. They're very, they highly emphasize, create your own custom controls, create lots of them, parameterize them. Whenever things are getting uh, confusing, you probably want to create a custom control. Yeah. Um, it's just a nice way to organize your application. That is how you build the UIs with it. But at the same time, they built in routing. <laughs> so, you know, you can do like weird single page, you know, hash bang URL things and make, you know, make your single page applications that used to be cool, but they're not cool, people. Single page applications are dumb. URLs are good. <laughs> they so are good. A, a nice sweet spot that I'm finding is um, MVC because um, controllers are a good abstraction for creating websites. It's, again, just a nice logical way to break up a website and the components basically of any app, honestly. But it's a good way to think about your app. And then um, Blazor is providing basically just crazy powerful views, native kind of views for your controllers. And it, gosh, it just, it, it feels really good. I, I don't know why I keep ending all my little monologues with gosh, it feels good, but that just <laughs> tells you I'm, makes me happy. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty cool because I think as a, a XAML developer for so long and, and Android and iOS bef you know, before that and XAML before that, it, coming into this world, it, it really didn't feel that crazy different. You know, I, I kind of feel like if I needed to create a website now, like, you know, when you think of React and React Native, those are two different things. You have to create a mobile app separate than this. And to be honest, if I was creating a Blazor app and a Xamarin app, it wouldn't be all that different because, you know, you could even reuse your view models or whatever. Like you, there's ways of sharing logic and code between those. But honestly, the even the UI parts are relatively familiar between the two of them. Um, and what I found with Blazor, at least, is it, I found it the same as being like a brand new developer to, to Xamarin Forms, like when I demo it, <laughs> which is... I can very quickly and very easily get stuff on the page. Like I can easily get data on the page, all in C sharp, all the stuff I already know and love. I can easily iterate through those, get lists of data, get the links. I can get the images. I can do all the normal HTML stuff. I can get ugly data on the screen very fast. <laughs> That's what yeah. I found because, because the C sharp and the HTML and the razor, I kind of get that. Frank, the last part that I don't understand because I'm not a web developer is the CSS. And and I guess, you know, I think that's okay. I was talking to Heather, <laughs> who is a web developer, obviously. She's a manager of web developers. And, and she told me, she's like, that's okay because front-end developers 
love that crap, right? They love tweaking and tuning and getting the, you know, the perfect rounded corners to look great. I can get it. And then once it's there, right, here's the cool part about this too, is like, I'm working with with another developer, Dan, not Dan Roth, but a different Dan on, the, on this website. And the cool part is that he's pretty good at the front end. So I'm like, Hey, I really want this over here. And then he comes back an hour later. He's like, here you go. And then I'm like, okay, well, I actually want like this up here and this down here, but I can go do those changes, right? I can go move bold H1, H2 and move crap around. I'm not good at the bootstraps and the, the rows and the columns. I could, I could put the data down. Right. And, and that was powerful because I said, we have like a upcoming shows and recent shows and he did upcoming shows. And literally within 20 minutes, I had a new component, which was called upcoming or recent shows. And I went and made another HTTP request, pumped the data down and boom, I just copied his, I copied his previous component and then customized it. And I was like, look at me, I'm a web developer. Holy crap. <laughs> Holy smokes, guys. I'm a web developer. And I did a PR and he's like, this is amazing. Right. And that was cool. I, I don't think I could have done that. Um, I don't think I would have felt empowered enough to do that. Even with, with normal ASP.NET MVC, I, I don't think so. Maybe with razor pages, but I don't think I would have felt the ability to do that um, before now. HTTP posts, man, they're so scary. Like anyone can send you anything in an HTTP post. Who knows? Who knows what's going to come down that pipeline? It's so funny hearing you talk about CSS. There's like a joke or it's not even a joke. It's, Maybe it's a good practice. Who knows what's a good practice in HTML these days? But basically, put a different class name on every div <laughs> in your app. And that way, in the CSS, you can take your time and do the formatting however you want, as long as you have a different class name on everything. All the semantic people will be rolling their eyes, but semantic people are wrong. I'm an engineer. I'm trying to get things done here, people. And CSS is so powerful at this point that you can basically reformat an entire site in just CSS. It almost doesn't matter what the structure of your divs even are. You could just put them all in one big list if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's kind of why I love it. I'm a little bit of a typography nerd throughout college when I should have been studying. I'd always be in the library just looking at like graphic design books from the 60s. So I kind of love CSS and I love playing with all its options, especially if you ignore browser compatibility. There are just so many options you can do, so many fun different things. Like, you know, HTML elements can have a background, right? Every, most people know you can have a background color. You could have mm -hmm. a background image. Did you know that you can have multiple layers? So you could have like 20 different images all composited differently together over that background with continuous animations running. Like those are the fun tricks of CSS that just don't get passed around enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even pretend like I know anything about anything in the CSS world. I, it, it's a, it's a struggle. I want to get there, but then I, I, I don't at the same time. So maybe <laughs> yeah, one day, exactly. you know, it, it's, <laughs> no, no. what, what I do like is I do like, um, going in to, you know, your developer tools. And one thing I do like doing is I like, highlighting an element that I'm working on, seeing what it's using and making changes in the browser to, to then go into the CSS because I can, I can do that, right? I can go in and say, oh, this is interesting. The font weight is this, or the line height is this, or the margin is this. And I can see what the values are. And I can be like, oh, what happens if I turn? Oh, interesting, fascinating, right? And then, and then I can go into the CSS that's in there and then I can go and modify it. 
And, and I think that's also powerful compared to, you know, I've been building apps on mobile devices and mobile phones. We don't really necessarily have that uh, capability that is really performance and awesome, right? We had like the inspector back in the day mm-hmm. and I know Apple uh, has some tools. I don't know what they have with Swift UI. I know Flutter has some tools, but I don't know if it's like, I mean, in the browser and this is for anything, not just blazer, but this is just like, it's a, it's, yeah. it's HTML, right? It's like, I can go to any web page at any time and I can modify. In fact, that's how I often mock up web pages, by the way. Like, I'm like, I like this web page. Okay. Let me just go into the HTML, modify it, take a screenshot. I would like a website like this. You know what I mean? Like make a page like this. And and that's kind of a cool, powerful feature of the web. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. It is. It's like whenever I was uh, teaching kids how to program before I would teach them any programming concepts, I would teach them HTML first. I was like, here's how to make a document and how to put your name on it, how to change the background color, how to change this and that. And the best part of that is it's kind of thoughtless. You're just having fun. You're just playing with colors. You're playing with shapes. You're playing with designs. So it's like a fun introduction to using text files to get what you want. And then you introduce a function and that kind of stuff, and then you make it more complicated. But it is. It's that uh, feedback cycle. And throughout mobile development, I've always been trying to get a fast feedback cycle like that. So you say it. We're getting better. It's getting better. Uh, that development cycle. But you know what I'm excited for? Uh, do you remember some years ago I did an April Fool's joke? I put Kelka on the web. I do remember that. Mm-hmm. It was um, a fun experience. I <laughs> I hacked um, this thing in order to convert .NET code to JavaScript code. Mm-hmm. It it was a neat conversion. Unfortunately, the library I was using, they completely rewrote it and changed the API and broke my hack. So it no longer works. Sad, sad puppy face. And ever since then, I've I've still wanted to be able to put Kelka on the web. I just wasn't sure exactly how I would do it. James, I'm so excited that like I think I finally understand enough about Blazor and how it works that I can put an app on the web and i think that's so exciting because now i'm not supporting my own custom compiler (laughs) to to accomplish that task yeah yeah that'd be that's sort of the neat part of it too is like that's definitely an app that's prime for it and in fact you know there's there's at some point you know the nice part about this technology is that it will enable developers like you and me to bring our visions to the web, but it will also be able to do the reverse, which is enable web developers to bring their apps to the desktop or to mobile devices via no, web. <laughs> well, I mean, they could, it's going to happen. Can. I'm just messing around. No, it, it's fine. It's fine. You know, I, I, I'm native apps for life, but <laughs> um, if you're going to bring your web apps to my platform, yeah, please use a sophisticated technology at least like this. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Well, the, the, the cool part here is that, you know, there's, there's the, the two aspects of which things are running, which is either Blazor server or Blazor web assembly, um, Blazor server that acts like a website where like 
that runs your C sharp logic on the server. So if you increment mm-hmm. account, it knows how to update it via signal R and, and does the web sockets and does all the magic behind the scenes, um, which is good. And it super scales, you know, you know, you're not, you're not going to maybe build, uh, amazon.com or Walmart, you know, I think dot you com with it. I don't know. You have to have a lot of servers. I'm sure, but, I'm sure Microsoft would be happy to have you as a test case if you did. <laughs> well, we, we are about to put, you know, blazer and blazer server into the .NET website which ah. has a lot of hits. So I think that it'll be just fine. I think it will be just fine, but you know, it depends on what you're doing because the other part too, is that there is the ability to, to basically not run it on the server and have this connection. Well, also, you know, when you think about it, you know, one thing that I think about too, by the way, is if I look at their .NET website, like there is, um, you, you have the website and then you, load some data and then you display some data, right? Like I'm not, I'm not actively manipulating the Dom tons or doing a bunch of stuff. It's like, here's some data, right? Um, which I think is really nice. There is the aspect of a countdown, which we could have done in C sharp, but we did in JavaScript because we are manipulating the, the Dom and the, and basically every second to do a countdown. But in the future here, there's the ability, um, you can already do it today, by the way, which is run that logic inside of the browser, the C sharp, which would be blazer WebAssembly, which you have talked about WebAssembly a lot with we and other technologies, which is not new, maybe to some of our developers, but maybe you could break that down here in like 30 seconds. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so these technologies have fun modes. You said it well, uh, there's the server mode, they call it and the client side mode. So server side, client side. I the server side has a lot of benefits. You can talk to your database. It's running on the server. You don't have to um you don't have to think about much. You can actually pass objects around without serialization. You can have shared memory. So many advantages of just running code on the server. A lot of security implications. Whereas on the client, you're back to where we kind of started when we were talking about JavaScript. Now you are doing just kind of a language replacement because if you want to do shared data, you have to have an API. If you don't want to do shared data, like you're doing a video game, you're just doing, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a data website, then it doesn't really matter. And, and it's fine. You can do everything client side. Um, the benefits there are you're not paying for cpu resources on your (laughs) server you're not paying for bandwidth so you're offloading a lot of resource usage onto the client which is good distributed computing it's good problem is (laughs) no one wants to write an api at least i don't want to write an api so i'm sticking with server side for quite a while the cool part is that you could go either way so if you started with server today you maybe could eventually migrate over or migrate back and Mm -hmm. forth um which is which is nifty too um, yeah, it's really cool technology that, that, that gives you the ability to then, you know, wrap it into an application, like an electron application or other side of application that, you know, runs it on your desktop, for example, or, you know, there's also those blazer mobile bindings that Elon has been working on, which now has a hybrid mode, by the way, which enables you to run native components and blazer components side by side and share the same memory on the mobile device which is bananas yeah that blazer mobile project it, is that open source 
Yep, completely open source. Okay, so I need to dig into the code <laughs> of that because I am so intrigued. <laughs> I've written things in this area before, and I know how darned trickery they can be. So I'm super curious how they're able to pull off the tricks. But um, if they're able to give the Blazor programming model to mobile development, that's pretty darn sweet. Um, I'll be honest, it's a nice programming model. I like not implementing I notify property change. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's kind of my nemesis. <laughs> so I would love to have that on iOS. Just saying, don't care about those other mobile operating systems. iOS, focus on my iOS Blazor mobile. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah, there it's a lot of uh, fascinating quirks in there probably to get it, it perfect. But I wouldn't say why not. I think it would be quite quite awesome because you know that's kind of what react native is at the end of the day right it takes a react model brings it to, to mobile and then when you create a button it creates a, a native ui button etc cetera, etc cetera. and it is but 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 you're still going through the javascript engine that's correct you're still this that's stupid correct. single threaded piece of junk whereas you could be running on dot net compiled with the llvm compiler within a way oh just yeah it's there's a big difference in the, between those two worlds yeah. well and you know the the cool part about about you know a blazer hybrid approach or the blazer mobile bindings is that you know you get all of net right you know with the web assembly there there's still going to be some restrictions there like in general and obviously with xamarin and the runtime like there's a few there's not very many we've talked about it, but there are no, a few yeah. things that you can't do but, you know, if you combine the Razor Blazor model on a, a mobile device, it's still running the Xamarin Mono runtime, right? Which means you can just do anything that you want that's inside of it. It's not like it's running WebAssembly as well. It's, right. like it's, just, it's just executing yeah. your .NET code per use, you know, yeah. <laughs> which is cool. All right. Well, I think we're going to have to do a follow-up on that library. I just don't know anything about it. I haven't used it, so I have to learn up on me because that's how impressed I am with the silly Blazor library that I'm considering it for my mobile development. How bad is that? A web technology is that good that I consider it for native development? Well, you know, a new model, just like Swift UI could come along and, and, and pull you over, right? It, it's less about... <laughs> I mean, that's the cool part. It's like the things that you like are the native aspects to it. So if you can get the native aspects and write less code and be more productive, maybe yeah. that's up your alley. That's right up my alley, James. Right on up it. <laughs> I like that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, this is fun. This is fun. I, I, um, to everyone listening, we are a mobile developer podcast. I promise you. It's just, I've been working on a website lately. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> I think probably a, what, good 20% of our content is web development because you can't be a programmer and not deal with the web all the time. Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself building a website, please, for the love of God, don't write a form with a post on it. Go get Blazor or any modern web framework. I guess there's like Vue.js and React. Those are okay, but you're still, whatever. Try Blazor. <laughs> I, I do. This is not a paid advertisement, but I should feel like I should be getting paid. <laughs> and, and if you were a web forms developer, which you said you were, I do want to bring a special attention. I'll put it in the show notes to something 
one of my colleagues, Jeff Fritz, has been working on, which I just posted in Zencaster for you. And I'll specifically take point evil. here. Just here, the which title is, of this thing is evil. It's it's Blazor Webform Components. So what evil. this en- enables you to do is basically get all of your Webform controls as Blazor components, which are evil. pretty awesome. Amazing. I was, he, he just implemented <laughs> a tree view which is great. Yeah, I see that. I see that. I mean, most of these are easy. You have like yeah. image and hyperlink, but data list, form view, grid view, list view, repeater. Those are all tricky. Those are tricky. Good job, Fritz. Oh, that's funny. That's so funny. Pretty cool. I mean, you need a data grid. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, imagine if you were coming from that one, like, oh man, where's this thing at? Well, don't worry. Just boom, here it is. I think that's pretty, pretty neato. So, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. I saw like, you know, material components for, for blazer and all this other stuff. Um, but yeah, this is a pretty cool one I just, because you said web forms. So I just figured, you know, throw it in there for you. So it's pretty cool. I appreciate that. I, I love a good throwback like that. I was making fun of web forms, but honestly, that was good tech back in the day too. Oh yeah. Again, it certainly beats doing raw posts to form endpoints. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. That's going to do it for this week's emerge conflict. All blazerfied edition um and there you go uh, until next time this has been another merch conflict i'm james montemagno and i'm frank Kruger. thanks for listening peace